Hello and welcome to Just One Cornetto, a podcast discussing all things Green at Morton. My name is Dean McKinnon and I'm your host. Just One Cornetto is brought to you in association with themortonforum.com, your hub for the latest Morton news, analysis and debate. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. A quick morning that this podcast may contain a bit of adult language. Thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Just one cornetto, give it to me, delicious ice cream, oh and Hello and welcome to the Just One Carnetto podcast in association with themortonforum.com. My name is Dean McKinnon. I have with me today Craig Dunning and Ewan Boyle. How are we, gents? Very good. Very good indeed. Pleased to be yourself, here. Craig. Excellent. So today we're going to be starting off our roundup of the team of the decade, looking at players from 2010 all the way to 2020. The criteria for our team of the decade is that you must have made 10 or more appearances over the last 10 years. We will obviously start with our goalkeepers. Take a deep breath here. So, we're choosing one goalkeeper out of Colin Stewart, Kevin Cuthbert, Alan Combe, Derek Gaston, Nicholas Carew, Grant Adam, Andy McNeil, Ryan Scully, Robbie McCrory, Sam Ransbottom and Danny Rogers. I'm assuming that this one's going to be quite straightforward. Aye, aye. I think that I think was unbelievable. And an unbelievable servant. If you're talking about ability, you've got him. Mean, just I'm just looking at the list here. Robbie McCrory was fantastic, and the, him and Kate Woody saved that season. But again, the six months of merit, I place as the greatest keeper in the last ten years. Absolutely not. Um, Carew, fantastic, and then at night at Celtic, but was just part of a, a, an absolute stinking team. But I, I think you're almost. You almost can't say no. I think it's an absolute certainty that for me it's Derek Gaston. I have actually been controversial. Uh, I have gone for Robbie McCrory. Um, I think as we go through this team, uh, there'll be uh, the debate will raise quite a lot of uh, you know, longevity versus quality. I can't argue with anyone picking Derek Gaston on the basis of longevity. You know, seven, eight seasons with the club. He was excellent for large spells of that. You know, his first season was in 2012-13, uh, when we finished second. You know, he also won a title with us, and you know, quite often he found managers trying to force him out, and he won his place back. Ultimately, it came down to, I think Robbie McCrory was a better goalkeeper. I It was only 15 games, but there was an instant change in that defence when McCrory came into the team. And I, th- I think it's rare that you see you see a loanee come to Morton who's so obviously got the attributes for a higher level. Up, up to the point that McCrory came to the club, uh, I'm going to be boring with some stats just to prove how he turned the defence around. Uh, we'd played 21 uh... games, we'd, we'd conceded 32. In the 15 games McCrory was in goal, we only conceded 13. There was an instant improvement in that defence. The goals conceded went right down because McCrory was there I mean I think in fact you you brought it up as well when you talked about Gaston winning a title obviously McManus Declan McManus gets an incredible amount of plaudits for our League One campaign Derek Gaston for me was every bit as crucial to us getting out of the third tier at the first attempt that season in particular he pulled off some absolute worldies and yeah I don't think he gets enough credit for that season because we obviously adopted the mantra of we're just going to score one, one more of the goal than you do but 
I thought he was absolutely fantastic that season. I think the other thing that I was going to raise was, as you'd mentioned, Craig, most managers, when they came in, I think there were some quite obvious weaknesses in Derek's game. For example, wouldn't say the command in his area wasn't great. I don't think he was a great communicator, but every manager, I think most managers at some point realised I've probably underestimated this guy, which probably speaks volumes as to the sort of person that he is. Yeah, and I think I think you only need to look at the goalkeepers he was dropped for that he had spells out the team in favour of that um yeah, managers were getting that wrong. Uh, and he was being underappreciated by manager after manager. Under Alan Moore, after he's you know had his first season with us in which we finished second, he's been excellent. He gets dropped for, for Nico Kiro, who yeah, had a great aim at Parkhead but really wasn't up to much. I think Davy Wiley could have played in Parkhead, to be honest. I don't think <laughs> I'm actually having I don't remember him actually having much to do at Parkhead. Yeah, I remember, I think, the only thing I remember for that night, other than the goal, and I, I, I was about 13 or something, so it's not as though I was drinking anything, but through nerves, it was, all I remember is the goal and them hitting the post in the last minute. That's what I remember for that game, because mostly I just couldn't watch, because Morton were actually leading the Parkhead, and two, I just was pretty much in awe that one of the worst teams we've had in a good long while were leading the Parkhead, and... I just can't, I could not tell you what else happened that night other than we scored and they had to post in the last minute. I'm just glad that we've started a trend now that that game will be mentioned on every single one of these podcasts. Every 10 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, and just to point out, uh, just to follow on from that, the, the other goalkeepers that uh, Derek Gaston had uh, prolonged spells out the team for were Grant Adam, Andy McNeil, and uh, uh, Gary McKinnon for giving us Ryan Scully. I think Gaston's clearly a better keeper than all of them. I think Andy McNeil came to us with a really bad reputation. I actually think in his time at Morton, I thought he was absolutely fine. It was fine. I didn't think there was ever an issue with Andy McNeil. I thought you could tell that he was, I was going to say you could tell he was a keeper, but I mean, he, he was done between his sticks, so it was pretty obvious that he was a keeper, but you could tell that he was like a, a, a top keeper that had played at top levels, because I think with the, with the, with the team he was playing in, and he seemed to he seemed to do fine, he seemed to, to handle the pressure of that Morton team that he was in absolutely fine, and there was a lot of pressure, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, I thought McNeil was you know, a safe enough pair of fans, yeah, and he absolutely didn't merit the reputation he came with from fans of other clubs. Yes, I still think at the same time, yeah, if you're comparing them to you know, Derek Gaston, uh, yeah, I'd still take Gaston 10 times out of 10 there. I think, just to go back, I'd like to give an honourable mention to Kevin Cuthbert. Quite recently, during the lockdown, I was watching the highlights of the Hibs game up at Easter Road, and I'd forgotten just how many saves they made that night. Aye, they, that they, was, they could easily have been, you know, yeah, they could easily have put four or five passes in normal time that night yeah if it wasn't for Cuthbert it was one of those I remember the kind of the, the reports after the game kind of talking about how Hibs huffed and puffed Hibs didn't Hibs had Hibs carved out a lot of chances and I don't necessarily blame their strikers for missing them I think it was just one of those nights where for all Hibs obviously scored three goals Cuthbert was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, he was immense. I was there, so... I mean, I would point out that although uh, Cuthbert was obviously still here this decade, uh, that game was in 2008, so yeah. that, that, that performance is invalid for inclusion in this poll. OK, probably one a wee bit off the cuff here. Save of the decade. I, I actually, I don't even know why that has even been asked. I think, not even just the save of the decade for Morton, did I guess and save against Queen of the South with Stephen Dover? I think that's where we save of the decade in a whole world. I have not seen 
unbelievable. Yeah, that that is the obvious first one that comes to mind. Yeah, because there was bizarrely some people at the time saying that ah well, if you know, his positioning hadn't been wrong in the first place, he wouldn't have had to backpedal. His positioning wasn't wrong because uh, the ball was in the opposition half. <laughs> you know, he was if positioned the, the where goalkeeper is in that scenario. If the if Dobie had knocked the ball through, and in fact, would have been Dykes that he was playing with at that point. Uh, I think that would have been too early. I'd need to check who was playing for Queen of the South at the time, but no, I'm, I'm thinking if, sorry for Dykes, but I... If Gaston had been too far back, the ball had been played as a through ball, and the striker had come in and tucked it away, Gaston's positioning yes. would have been questioned. That was, I, quite, he, for the way the play had progressed, his positioning was absolutely spot on. It was just an absolute wonder strike. You're almost complaining at a guy for not being ready for a guy hitting it free half really. I mean, Aye, quite. And it was it was his reaction as well after the initial save and he's fallen back into the net. That ball was still spinning pretty much on the line and could easily have ended up just trickling over. And he you know, had the reaction to get himself back up, having literally fallen into the back of the net. Was it Tontastic that, that brought out that cracking the cracking video of it? Aye, yeah. Right. And you can see there, because the other thing that we would say, we all respect to Gats. I don't think he was the most agile of goalkeepers in the world. And for him to actually move himself that quickly to get back up and onto that shot before it's won back into the net was absolutely unreal. Aye, it was. It was just, it's, you don't get saves like that like, every so often. It's one of them saves that everybody will talk about because it's so unique. It's it's You, you just don't see it. The fact he's hurt it for a halfway line, the fact he's miles off his line, not wrongly, may I add, but the fact he has miles off his line and the fact he's, he's get back from within the net to come back and save it on the line, it's just, it's the stuff of legends, it really is. We'll move on from that, so we're, we're going with Derek Gaston, just looking at some stats here, 219 games over a seven-year career at Morton, so happy with that. We will move on then, speaking before we come on, Mike, both myself and Craig are going with back threes, what about yourself, Ewan? I, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go right back because I want to give Mike Doyle the praise that nobody's ever gave him, and I, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for it at the back. All right. So, who's your left back choice then, Ewan? It's a tricky one. It really, it's a tricky one. I think you look at Ayerdale. Definitely was magic on that, and I mean that. He was magic warming up and doing that left midfield, and and I think even defensive up day, but. I'd, I'd, I'd like to say it. I know he's I know he's only played really since it's been his breakthrough season, but I do think Strappy probably gets in my my left back a decade. I, I, I mean Strappy really only played what six months a decade, but I think you can see here that how how top quality Lewis Strapp is. So I think I, I, it'd be difficult to ignore him. I really do. I think Lewis Strapp's definitely been been excellent for us so far. There's obviously there's a lot of work still to do, I think. It's not a criticism of him in any way. I think it's just, as is the case with most players at this age, still a little bit kind of tactically naive and still still a wee bit of work to go, but definitely get high hopes for him. Uh, yeah, I think with Strap, um, so that, because we've had the left-backs hyped up before. Um, you know, the obvious example from this decade being Mark Russell, which you know, his career just sort of petered out. And I, I think with Strap, he's got, you know, more of the basic defensive attributes there already than, than Russell did at that age. I mean, as you're saying, then, yeah, you know, there is tactical naivety. There's still things to work on. But 
I think he's clearly got the attributes to go on and play at a higher level in a way that maybe Russell didn't. You know, you know, if you were to compare the two of them, the things that were always impressive about Russell were his attacking play. You know, nobody really talked him up for his defending. Uh, that, that was why everybody insisted that he had to be moved to the left wing all the time. Uh, whereas you know, with Strap, you know, his defending is, is the strong point of his game. And once he, you know, once he gets more experience... Once he learns more, then I don't particularly see him being being a championship player very long. No, I think the game Mark Russell is due. I quite like Mark, Mark Russell. Actually, I like him a lot. To be fair, I think he was. I mean, was it not like the heart? It went to a match. Was it not like seriously the heart? Yeah, the heart. They put an offer in. Uh, I'm not sure if there was any truth in it, but there were certainly tabloid rumours saying that they'd they'd inquired about him. I. But I just, I just think Mark Russell. This is probably where Strap excels. Mark Russell was never. He, he was excellent running at defenders. A lot with Jack Iredale. He, he was, he was picky, and he was really picky when he was running at, at defenders uh, at the opposition. But I think Strap's defensive work and his attacking just blend perfectly. I mean, I think it's 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 a perfect match mix that a, a defender should have, and. If that's what he is just now, then God knows what he's going to be like in one, two, three years. Ah, if he stays here for that length of time, we're, we're just sorted. Do we think how many seasons? How many seasons do you think that the strap needs under his belt before he can go and test himself at a higher level? Sorry, I mean he's under contract to twenty twenty two. I mean, obviously we don't really know what's going to happen with this season and the next one, but. Yeah, I mean, if he does get two full seasons under his belt, I, c- I could easily see him moving, you know, at the end of that contract. I mean, for, for obvious reasons, I hope he doesn't. But, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if at that point you've got a Premiership club taking a punt on him. If, if any clubs get a decent scouting system, I have no doubt that all eyes will be on Lewis Strat for a season because you only need to look at last year and, and his attitude and the dig that he had... The, the ability they had, these tick on the boxes that these scouting systems would need. And, I mean, if they're not looking at them, there's, there's concerns with them because you, you, you almost can't pass down a player as good as Strappy, particularly at the age he's at. So um, I think what Craig said is fair. 2022 is maybe done on purpose because maybe that's the point that they think you'll go. But who knows? So you're happy to, to confirm that Strap's in your team then? Aye, aye, I'll go for Lewis Strap. Just a few stats there. So 40 appearances so far for Morton. Combining that, we loans at Elgin and Annan. 77 career appearances. And as we've talked about, I think he's got a pretty bright future. You mentioned Mikey Doyle for your right back. Aye, this is, this is the point where I get all emotional. I, again, I absolutely love Michael Doyle, and I know fans hate him. I know it, and I, I used to, I used to stand in a cow shed. And I used to see Mark Russell warming up and doing a lot of times getting out of position, but we move on through that. And I used, I used to think, what a worker! I mean, what a worker! What I've been doing defensive work, I thought was absolutely. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was fine. I thought it did the trick. I thought. I mean, I mean, I used to talk to, I used to get down to Martin a lot when, when Michael Doyle was playing and anybody I spoke to that trained with Michael Doyle said he was the last one every time 
that left that training ground. Now, I'm not saying that at a place and the team of the decade. I'm not, but I'm saying that I could see how hard he was trying. I could see his confidence again. See, Sudan Sakoushed right beside you are absolutely screaming at you when you're making an error. Your confidence goes. But again, as I said before, if you're going into football, you need to deal with, with the shouts and the, the moans of the modern fans. But I, I think I think he was good. I really do think he was good. I think to offer some mitigation to Doyle, the system that we played in at that time where we had Forbes yep. kind of shoehorned onto the right side, obviously for his set-piece ability rather than what he typically contributed from open play. Doyle was expected to provide all the defensive cover and all the attacking width in that shape and they kind of lopsided 4-4-2. I don't think that necessarily suited his game. Yeah. I think if we were, you know, if it was a case of we were using him to make support and runs and free up space for a natural right-sided wing, a natural right-sided midfielder or right winger, then I don't think he would have came in for as much criticism as he did. Yeah, I would totally so, agree with that. I mean, I think Doyle was a solid, competent right-back, and um, those actually, you know, especially over the last five years or so at our level, haven't been that easy to come by. Particularly that, that last season, um, you know, his last season at the club, Buffy's last season in charge, when we weren't playing that lopsided 4-4-2 with you know, no right-sided midfielder ahead of him, we were playing a 4-3-3, where again, he was still expected to be you know, crossing the halfway line, getting crosses into the box. That's not his game, it's never been his game. And yeah, I, I do feel he was hung, hung out to dry a bit. You know, if you'd put him, if you kept him in you know, a sort of more natural setup where he wasn't expected to be the attacking outlet for that entire side of the pitch, then I think he'd have got a lot more a lot more patience off the support. There is definitely a, a lack of fullbacks if you look over the last 10 years. Something that we kind of joked about before we started recording is that Morton and fullbacks don't seem to mix very well. As a solid as a solid championship level fullback, I think Doyle's absolutely fine. But for the reasons that we've kind of talked about, I've, I've went with a back three just to kind of listen to mitigate that somewhat that we don't have a good history of, of fullbacks. I know what you mean with the, with the, the, the fullbacks. I was kind of against it, but I, I also wanted to, to emphasize how good Stratley was. But, yeah. Um, I also wanted to prefer um, Regan Tumway. I, I think, I don't think it quite makes it for me, but I, I think that as much as he's been on leaps and bounds, he's probably been, I, I wouldn't say a competent right-back, but I think... There's, there's some games where he's brilliant, there's some games where he's absolutely brilliant, and there's some games where he's he's pretty poor, but in the games where he is brilliant, uh, you've got to game his dues. I, I thought he looked, he looked fine in the games that he was brilliant. Quick wee rundown of Michael Doyle's career. So, started off at Kilmarnock, loan at Stirling Albion, played for Alloa for five seasons, signed for St Johnston, then came to us, Queen of the South after that, Falkirk, and then... Queen's Park, quite the drop off in his late career. But so you're happy with, with Michael Doyle then? Yes, I'll All right, so obviously, Craig, you get two of us have got three centre backs to pick rather than you, so I'll go to you first. Who's your first pick for centre back? Uh, my first pick, um, I said earlier that um, 
you know, you would have an issue with longevity, maybe, uh, in this. And I couldn't argue with anyone picking Derek Glassman over Robbie McCrory based on longevity. Uh, this is a player where I don't give a toss about longevity. I don't care that Gavin Gunning only played 12 games for Morton. He was quite clearly the best centre-back at the club in the decade. He could have played once and I'd still be picking him. Bring Sir Gavin Gunning home. Obviously, yeah, I think, I think um, um, when when Gunning came into the club, we'd started the season quite badly uh, under yeah. Duffy. There was a feeling that, that the squad was lacking. He went out and signed Gunning and at the same time, and pretty much instantly our club transformed, and we went on that you know incredible run that ended up taking us into the playoffs. Okay, Gunning left in January, but you know, I genuinely don't have an issue with that. He signed. You know, being perfectly upfront about the fact he was putting himself in the shop window, he left in the January. I don't really view that as you know, nasty behaviour. You, know, he, he came in, he he gave us everything in the time in the time that he was here, and he was superb. What more do you want from a player, really? I I, I really liked Gavin Gray. I, I thought I, I've never understood the argument that he was only he was only here for. 12, 13 games, and B, it was just good. I, I, I think that's harsh to say that he was just good. I think as a centre-half, I mean, he's been at top level, so it's no surprise at how good he was, but um, I, I just think he won every single header that came at him. When he was on the ball, nobody was getting near him, and that was absolutely nobody was getting near him. He was just everything you want for a centre-half. But it just made it even better that he was at us. I mean, if if you if you sit back a minute and think, Grant Morton, I wouldn't say he's in his prime, but when he was still very good, Grant Morton had Gavin Gunning. I mean, it's it, it's good to say because he, he's a top defender. I think what impressed me with Gunning, I expected him to be a standout defensively, and he was. I expected him to be to organise the players around him and bring on the players around him. He did, I thought, when Day played alongside him. But whoever was playing alongside him was made a better player because of playing next to him and just being in that partnership with him. The thing that I remember being pleasantly surprised about was his distribution with the ball. He was just as, if not more comfortable and competent on the ball than some of your central midfielders in that period. He was the one that you would see stepping out, breaking the lines and kind of trying to give us a bit of impetus going forward. And then obviously the the kind of standout moment would be away at St Mirren. Obviously McDonough gets sent off for an absolutely outstanding slide tackle and you see Gunning, you know, rally the players together, give a wee bit of tactical instruction and then we get a, a point out of it. Whether we deserved it or not, I think that was a standout moment for me. So, Gunning is in my team, is in Craig's team. What about you, Ewan? I'm going to say no. I know I gave him the utmost praise here. People are just going to go mental at me, and I don't care. I'll offer them a square go if they want. Um, it was, I think, personally, what he done wasn't very nice to Morton. But I think, I'm aware has to be an acting for me. I'm sorry. I, I think it's tough to overlook I'm aware because I think as we were discussing about um about gunning Tam aware maybe wasn't the greatest in the ball. That's that's fair enough. But he, he was this massive, no nonsense, either the ball every time I mean 
you just go back to the absolute glory days when Ross Forbes is swinging the ball in for a corner. You know where it's going. The Morton players know where it's going. The opposition players know where it's going. But yet, still, they couldn't stop Tamar Ware getting on the end date. I'm sure, I don't know if this statistic was ever true, but somebody once told me that at one point in the season, it might have been Christmas, Tamar Ware was the top scoring defender in Europe. Now, I don't know how true that is, but see if you're a top scoring defender in Europe, I think you're in a place for me. That season in particular, Ware was a fantastic and excellent goal threat. There were a few little weaknesses in Aware's game in general at this level. I don't think he's ironed them out. His initial positioning, I think, talking kind of quite technically, his initial positioning isn't great. He doesn't anticipate, especially when it's a quick turnover of possession. He is sometimes a little bit out of position. He's then, from my point of view, he's having a he's in recovery mode too often, if that makes sense. Rather than being in the prime position to deal with the danger before it before you have to go into recovery mode. I see, I know what you mean, and I possibly am being quite biased in the way of the club interactions out with that, but he, does, he, he misses out for me. A worthy, definitely worthy of a mention, but he does just miss out for me. He doesn't get in my team. Listen, I, I think, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I just think that my, my memory is, is disgraceful, right? And, and see, prior to maybe 2012, Something like that, 2011. I honestly couldn't tell. I went to Morton Games. I went to every Morton Game with my dad, but I couldn't tell you. All I remember is Peter Wilson and McAllister and Miller, and that's really all I remember. But the, the players that stick in my mind will always be Tamerware. I mean, Tamerware was a, a powerhouse. But I'm not saying, everybody's got their flaws, right? I'm not saying Tamerware's defensive work was absolutely brilliant. But if we've got a corner, or if they've got a corner, Nine times out of ten, Tamar Ware's getting on the end of it. And I'm not saying that makes you a fantastic player because you can heed a ball away for a corner. But that's just an example of, of the, the type of player that Tamar Ware was. And I did, I really liked Tamar Ware. But what he did at Morton wasn't very nice. And if it listens to us, I'm not a happy man. Yeah, right. I had a sort of you know, weird... Um... You know, weird thing with Oware where you know, maybe it's just evidence of me being a contrary arsehole but you know, uh, when he first broke through into the Morton team and everyone thought he was shite I actually thought he was being unfairly underrated and then you know, around that 16-17 season when you know, he scored all those goals and everyone suddenly thought he was brilliant I thought they were massively overrating him so if you sort of like go through his career over the, over the decade he first broke into the team under Alan Moore he was a 17 year old uh, a right-footed 17-year-old who had like spent most of his youth career playing in central midfield, a centre-back, and he got flung into the team at left-back. Uh, so, you know, of course he looked shite then. Um, that's not his fault. And I think it took a long time for uh, you know, the fans to sort of forgive him that. People forget that 12-13 as well. We were challenging for that title, and it, the performance that he mostly gets remembered for that season was having a nightmare at Fur Hill the night that, realistically, Partick won the league. He had actually you know, started to establish himself at centre-back. And again, he got hung out to dry by Moore a bit by being moved to left-back that night. But there were games in, the, in that run-in where Mark McLaughlin and Kevin Rukovic were available and O'Ware was being picked ahead of them at centre-back on the merit of his performances. However, I actually think then, you know, if you then skip all to 16-17 when he's established as a first-team centre-back, and he's getting a lot of you know, hype and attention because of all the goals he's scoring. I think just the fact he was scoring goals at the other end is obviously great. It was a, it was a massive contribution to that team. But it didn't address his defensive weaknesses. You know, 
the, the fact is, he, as you said, Dean, he's always had flaws in his game defensively. And at no point did you really see an improvement in those. If we're talking about the best centre-backs, then yes, aye, scoring goals from anywhere anywhere in the park is important. But ultimately, he wasn't defensively good enough for a lot of the time. D- don't get me wrong, w- was, he a, was he a good... Could he be a good championship player? Yeah, he could. But there were flaws that he didn't want... You know, he didn't want to work on himself. And I, I don't mean that to sound like, you know, Tamil Ware didn't care. Of course he did. But he bought into his own hype. How many times did you see a goal being conceded through Tamil Ware's loss of concentration? And the reaction would be for him to, you know, point and shout at Lee Day or Ricky Lamey. You know, those were his flaws. And I actually think, see if you look through uh, Tamil Ware's Morton career, other than 14-15 uh, in League One, when he actually spent most of the season playing in midfield, I don't think there's actually a season that you could say he was the best centre back at the club. No, but no, I, 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 I just don't think that's. I think because he wasn't the best, I don't think that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve his place. No, I'm not saying that he wasn't. However, was not fantastic, right? I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying it was. But I'm looking here. That there's various other players that I've had in, but. I just think for me, in terms of a memorable Morton, and, and we got Hamden, we got we got to. I know it's one season, but it's still a significant season. When you're getting the playoffs and Hamden in one season. I think he was pretty crucial in that season. I he maybe wasn't as good. I, I'm right saying he. I just being on a Hamden team, and it's a big deal, and you'll always remember these players. And I think it would be I as, as I said it would be harsh to it was harsh what he done and it was it changes a lot of people's views maybe if he didn't do what he done would people look at him more firmly and say oh you'd have him I, I don't know but if I'm if I'm ignoring I'm putting up a, a blinkers saying right ignore what he done how good a player was he he had his flaws but I'd have him in that's fair enough so we safe to say that he he gets in your team you and he doesn't get in yours Craig correct and he doesn't, he doesn't get in mine either. So we'll go then, we'll go on to centre-back number two. If you want to go for it, Ewan, who's your second-choice centre-back? Uh, for me, I, I think it's it's fair enough to say that the laminator, right, the laminator, I thought, was just... That's a crack at that, I'll keep that. Uh, but you know... That's no, 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 let me explain. The Morton in the community, their offices have a laminator in it. And it is called the Ricky Laminator. So there you go. But I Ricky Lamy, just again, much like Tamaware, except he was miles ahead of Tamaware. Just when you get back to Gavin Gunning, you're talking about on the ball. Just fantastic, so calm, so so calm the ball. Um, just winning every heater, strong. I know I'm just repeating these these terms, but. That is exactly what you want for a defender. And you, you look and see where he, where he is now. He's just fantastic. I mean, he's, I've no doubt that Ricky Lamb will just keep going higher and higher and being better. Because everybody, you, you, you speak to any Morton fan, I doubt you would have one Morton fan that would that would be against Ricky Lamb not being in anybody's team in a decade. I'm aware, aye, I can understand. But Ricky Lamb, I'd struggle if somebody said to me that Ricky Lamb shouldn't be here and... I'm kind of expecting now that none of you two are going to have him, so it could be over. What impressed me most with Lammy was, obviously, Duffy signed him. We didn't know a great deal about him. It had been dug up that Weatherson had got him sent off. 
when we played the entry um, a few years before that. And can I just point out that that was hilarious. Yeah, it was. That was. <laughs> it was proper head gone. It was outstanding. But what impressed me most was when he first joined, Duffy played him at left back for maybe not the majority, but I remember him. He played a he played a substantial chunk of the season in League One at left back. And at first he really struggled and he got quite a bit of stick. And one of the things that impressed me most about him was didn't really let it affect him, kept his head down, kept working. He became more comfortable on the ball. His distribution got better and better. His understanding of the game got better and better. And initially, and you've got to give praise to Duffy here, I think, for all it didn't reap immediate rewards, I think spending a season as a fullback has made him a more has made him a better all-round centre back. And it's given I think it's given his game more facets to it, probably. And that could be the deciding factor to what that could be the reason that he's now playing at a higher level. The improvement between the player that he arrived at Morton as and the player that he left Morton as are pretty unrecognisable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a massive credit to Duffy. I think you have to say, you know, player, especially a defender, doesn't have a transformation like that without extremely good coaching. And uh, yeah, it, it is a massive credit to Duffy. And I think as well, you know, he started out at left back, he struggled and then, yeah, he started really establishing himself as a centre back, but then you know, you saw a real improvement in him as a left back as well. You know, he could he could do both equally well, and you see that as well when he's moved on to Livingston and then Motherwell. At Livingston, not just at left back, he spent a lot of time playing at left wing back. This season at Motherwell, he's uh, mostly been uh, mostly been playing left back as much as centre back as well. So yeah. To see the transformation in him from that uh, you know guy who really struggled in League One as a left back. You know, six years ago is uh, aye, massively impressive. And is it yeah. a safe point to say that Duffy improved pretty much every defender that worked on him, that worked under him? Sorry, especially the centre backs. When you look at Aware, improved. Obviously, we were we were discussing that there were still weaknesses in Aware's game, but obviously Aware improved under Duffy. Kilde improved under Duffy. Levy improved in, under Duffy. There, there's definitely a record there on, over his tenure at Morton with. Duffy working really well and developing these defenders. Obviously, at one point, we knocked back an offer from from Hamilton for for Lico Day as well. There's there was a lot of improvement in his game as well before his injury. That's it's something that Duffy has to get a lot of credit for. Yeah, I would say the exception to that is uh, Mark Russell, as we were discussing. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that was primarily due to trying to use him as a midfielder, and yeah, just uh, he wasn't one so that didn't work and he never really got a run of games again after after moving there. I, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily criticise Duffy for trying it as such because sometimes you have got to try these things and just see what sticks. But possibly a combination of Duffy not really giving him a settled run of games and fullback after after it became apparent that he wasn't going to be able to cut it playing on the left wing. He never really got a consistent run of games but again Mark Russell's career trajectory maybe points to the fact that maybe that was just the way his career was going to go anyway. And I would, uh, There's not a lot to say that I don't think that Mark Russell was this, he wasn't this fantastic left-back with bags of potential. He was someone who, with the right coaching and guidance, could have been a League One championship level left-back and it just didn't work out for him. I for all Duffy probably gets the blame for it, I don't think it was a case of, oh, this boy had massive potential and Duffy siphoned it. I don't think it worked like that. I, I, but I, I mean, many will know it that are listening. I absolutely adore Jim Duffy. Um, I think 
what what he done for Morton, taking us to players, taking us to Hamden, which I don't think will will happen for a, a good few number of years again. These moments you'll never forget, and you'll never stop talking about. And I, Jim Duffy, had a tough season. The the ones that followed after that. But I just think that I'll, I'll always hold Jim Duffy in the highest of regards for what he done to Morton. I, I think he actually made us a, a competent championship side. I, he absolutely bottled it, and it's criminal. I think he should have went, no, but that's for another day. But I think that his, what he done to Morton and changing, it, changing the game, basically, at Morton, it, it's always going to be looked fondly upon by me. And I know fans will, will never, fans will hold a grudge for, for blowing the the playoffs not but I, I I will always I'll always speak to him highly and I, I think I would I would be harsh on him if I didn't. I like Duffy as a person. I like him as a coach. I like him as a manager to a point. I think that he offered Morton a lot of continuity. As we're just discussing, he had an excellent track record of of developing players and particularly defensive players. There were issues there and I think for all he offered continuity, when we parted with him, I think it was the right decision. There, there was cause for concern there. We are two seasons in the trot. After the third quarter, we're doing really well and it just falls away. We beat Inverness away from home 2 nothing. We were sitting second, is that right? And was um, that game the last of quarter three? Uh, no, we were we weren't sitting second, but we we did have a game in hand over Livingston, uh, and we could have gone second above them. That never happened. We I could I could be very boring uh, going on about that at the end of that season, uh, but yeah, to to put it as shortly as possible, we'd got into that position, and it was to Duffy's credit that he got us into that position. Playing, he'd found a four four one one system that worked. Then he started chopping and changing the team to to rest players. Uh, before we went to Parkhead in the Cup. Having having rested players for a game with Livingston that could have put a second, uh, which we lost, uh, we inevitably got pumped at Parkhead anyway. Then after that, he never reverted back to that 4-4-1-1 that worked. Went back to the 4-3-3 he'd started the season with. He started shoehorning John Baird into the team for reasons known only to him. The previous season, when we made it into the playoffs, but also didn't actually win uh, in the final nine league games of the season, you could have argued that was just you know an excellent team that that ran out of steam. Whereas uh, you know the following season when Livingston ended up going up through the playoffs, you know, we were in touching distance of Livingston, and then ended up finishing seventh. And that could directly be traced to tactical decisions that Jim Duffy made. You know, the previous season there wasn't anything quantifiable. Duffy did the good team just ran out of steam argument sort of held water with that when it happened again the following season and it could be traced directly to Jim Duffy's team selection and tactics I think there was sort of no way back from that Right, I, I just love Jim Duffy so I, I normally just block out any because <laughs> I just love him that much so Okay guys we've now got to choose obviously for Craig and myself we've got to choose our third centre back I've got a horrible feeling that we've probably chosen the same one Craig so I'll let you go first uh, Stuart McCaffrey for me. Um, uh, yep. yep. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, McCaffrey was an absolute class act. Um, sadly, he played in, let's be honest, a bit of a shite Morton team overall. But um, yeah, the guy was just classy. Um, yeah, 2010-11, it was a bit of a crap season. Uh, was his full season with us then. He started the next season, got injured quite early on and never played again. But he was really a guy that just sort of held the defence around him together, talked players through the game, 
And I think, don't get me wrong, we were probably always going to go off a cliff in 11-12, but that was a season we started quite well. The famous great feeling at Capelo threat was started on Pye and Bovril on the back of our start to that season. Stuart McCaffrey got injured, and then uh, after his injury, we then won one of our next nine games. He was just sort of the glue that held the defence together. Very good player. Um, if it hadn't been for injuries, we'd probably have got a good few years out of him. Yeah, McCaffrey was going to be my choice as well. I'll go kind of missing players that I think deserve a shout. I thought Stuart Finlay, obviously the season itself was horrible. I think Stuart Finlay was possibly one of the exceptions in that season. He was so young. He was our most capable defender that year. And you'd like to think on some level that going through that improved him as a player. I think it's easy to say as well that, I mean, when we watched Stuart Finlay at Morton, he was excellent. It was excellent. But it's probably fair to say as well at that point that you could tell he was going to go on and and and, and be what he's become. I, I'm, I'm not saying he was a, an, an outstanding centre-half that stood out for the crowd and that, but you could tell that he was, he was solid and that he had this potential to be what he is now, a Scotland international. He's scored for Scotland. He's every week for Kelly. I, he's probably going to go even further than, than what he's at just now, but you could tell it, you could certainly tell it when he was at Morton. Moving swiftly on, I think another exception I would have quite liked is to have signed Mark McLaughlin probably two or three seasons before he did sign for us. I, 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 like I really like Mark McLaughlin. I thought he was, that's kind of no nonsense, centre-half. I know that's a pure cliche thing to say, but I, I know it's easy to say for a lot of players, but if he'd signed for... A, a good, solid Morton team, I think he would have been even more of a standout than what he actually was the team that he played in. The ability to hound a linesman into changing their mind after awarding a goal is always a handy, yeah, well, a handy tool to have. Yes. Yeah, it's just a quick hello to Ross Haswell if he's listening. Yes. We've not forgotten. <laughs> so that rounds off our defenders and that rounds off part one. We'll be back for part two, so thank you all for listening and we'll see you all soon. Just one cornetto, give me 